When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Good evening to you. It's a Thursday evening around Australia and New Zealand. This is Repco Race Control with McIver Murph and Alexander. I was hoping that he, I, I almost forgot your name, Tom, because I was thinking it was going to be McIver <laughs> Murph oh, and something else. So I know, isn't that terrible? Isn't that terrible? Yeah, pretty much. It is. But a, a big old show. You may have heard us teasing it with the uh, Run Home crew, but there's a, a lot to look forward to. Simon Crafer confirmed to talk MotoGP at 8.30. Chris Medland out of the UK to talk F1 at Silverstone this weekend. And we're going to cool. hear from Courtney Duncan shortly. But first of all, uh, Tom, welcome to the show, man. Uh, Murph said... And we blew smoke up your backside last week on both Sky Speed and the show about how well it was to jump into the RSO one. Had you? Can you just tell us the experience of jumping into a, a, that car and what it was like for you? Yeah, thanks for having me. Obviously, it's great to be on the show. Um, yeah, obviously, very very last minute. Um, pretty cool to jump in with Murph. Get a phone call um, quite early in the morning. I was prepping for a two hour race uh, that morning, but yeah, got the call up to to jump in with Murph and. Hadn't really sat in the car previously, got one sort of warm-up lap before the race started and uh, just you know, built into it and, um, yeah, we had a good day in the end. Murphy, he's being, he's being really sort of polite and humble about it, but can <coughs> you, t- from your experience, how different is the RSO one to a lot of other cars that Tom may have driven? Oh, well, Tommy, you've, you've driven a few G3 cars now, though, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, driven a couple, the um, Audi R8 and the GDR as well. Yeah, so you know he's he's familiar with sort of that aerodynamic sort of uh, efficiency and and grip that they generate and big tire, big brakes, ABS traction control. Um, probably the Renault has is, is got a little bit more downforce maybe than what you're used to. Would that be fair? Yes, I'd take him, especially compared to the uh, the GDR. I think definitely it would be probably one of the higher downforce GT cars that I've driven. But it's yeah, a, but. but but to put it in perspective, though, um, Stephen, sorry, mate, um, is, you know, he drove out the gate into a race in the wet in a car that he hadn't, hadn't <laughs> driven before. So, you know, he, he did he did exactly what we all expected him to do, and that was um, take his time and, and just learn it and get, get used to it, find the grip, find the, the pros and the cons, and, and, and put it all together. And, was, and um, it didn't take him too long. Did it feel like an endurance car? Because it it, it's, obviously it's European, it's a Renault, but did it feel like, oh, this is a bit different, you know? Uh, no, I feel to be fair, it feels like it feels like uh, just another car. It's got a, a couple of pedals and a steering wheel, and oh. you just got to adapt to the, the way they do things slightly differently. You know, the throttle response and that sort of thing is, is the big thing that you've got to learn. But I, 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 most cars are very, very similar. Got steering wheel, a couple of pedals, four wheels. It was for some of us. It's not yeah. like that. For some of us, it's not like that, Tom. <laughs> you know, it's all right. I sit here. I mean, I had to sit next to Murph, on, and uh, he had to teach me. 
with much patience, might I add. Uh, he drove no, the, the, the radical SR. I wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't patient at all. I was terrible. I was just, uh, yeah, to oh. be honest. So you lied on you lied on, on Sky Speed. You said I'd done okay, but actually now you're saying I, no, was, no, I, I was mud. No, you said, you said I was patient, and I just said, oh, I wasn't patient. Have you? Driven- I didn't, I didn't, how did you? How did you take from that that I said you were terrible? Because because you were thought I, I just I just took I took plenty from it. Don't worry about it. Joe the radical. That's a heap of fun. Now what I want to do the S. You've driven a radical A. Yes, I've driven actually how, the SR10. How, how cool are they, That's right? So car. I want to do it by myself now that I've had master tutelage uh, from uh, Greg because I felt like at the end of it I couldn't do anything right. But Murph, what did you say I got wrong at the end? What was the what was the oh, key, key issue? What was the key problem? Was, Wait for it. Well, Tom Tom would Tom would um, completely understand where I'm coming from here. I mean, he was he was doing all right, Tom. He actually was 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 going okay. He was taking his time, and he was he was um, starting to put the car in the right places. A few things, you know, lap after lap after lap, he, he couldn't adjust to. But he was starting to go okay, and I was feeling pretty good. And then. All of a sudden, he decided he wanted to go seven seconds a lap faster in one go, and uh, forgot everything instantaneously. Forgot everything. Forgot to brake. Forgot to brake first before you start changing down. That so, was that know, was the down, moment. You know, turn ten at Hampton Downs was a long straight. Yeah, I, I forgot. I just completely forgot. I just went bang. And I, I went down a gear, and Murph goes, that'll do us, we're heading in now. I said, why? No, no, we're going in. And that was it. But such a cool experience. Anyway, oh, I'm good, I'm good, he says. I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm like, yeah, but the car can't handle much more of this. <laughs> so there you go. All right, this is Repco Race Control. Got to get on because we've got to, uh, lots to fill in tonight. Uh, we, let's uh, think about Courtney Duncan, who was back on a break before the very last round of the Women's WMX. The three-time world champion has no chance of, of winning this year because of the broken collarbone, which she'll talk about. This is an interview that I did on Monday for Sky Speed. We're going to play you the full interview, and here's the first part of it. Courtney, great to have you back in the country. Uh, it's always nice just to sit down and have a yarn. But this has been a, a challenging year. When you fell off, did you know then and then that <laughs> any title aspirations were done? Good to see you. Um, <laughs> and first off, yeah, I did. I did. I had a crash, and I was in a bit of pain. I wasn't obviously aware was it broken or not was the collarbone broken or not but um, I carried on free practice actually I did all the jumps and had a wee bit of a niggle and that's kind of what steered me towards okay let's get some x-rays so we headed over to the truck to get some x-rays at the track and surely enough she was fractured so when you look at that you go how, how hard is that as a professional athlete to accept that okay this challenge is probably insurmountable realistically very difficult, very difficult. I think, you know, the the prior three years were, you know, kind of on the ridge, I guess. You know, had a lot of success and then to, you know, be handed with a broken collarbone and the potential of not being able to go for a fourth championship was hard to accept, I think. And so much goes into it, right? So much personal and, um, ambition goes into going for an event like that and to have it, you know, cut short was yeah, pretty hard to accept. It's not, though, as if you haven't been through this before, mm-hmm. because before your first world championship, you, you were on the cusp, yep. had a photographer, did all sorts of things, you know, not, not by choice, obviously, and you've had to learn to deal with that. Yep. What tools do you use or what did you learn to deal with it? Yeah, exactly. I think those three years of hardships have definitely 
built you know a higher level of um, resilience I guess you could say and definitely helped me this year you know I've been through some tough times and I think now I understand that they don't last forever and in sport you've always got another opportunity and for sure the championship was taken from me but at the same time I was like I had my eyes set straight on when can I come back and I want to make a good comeback so um, I tried to shift that focus as soon as I could. But what tools did you use? What mental tools? What people did you talk to to deal with it? How to? How am I going to do this on a day-to-day basis because the season's gone? I think I just dealt with it alone for the first few days. Um, it's brave. Just, yeah, but it's just you just have to go for the ride. I mean, you're going to go through frustration. You're going to deal with denial. Um, you're going to all have all those emotions, and that's normal. You know, it's called that. It's kind of like the grief cycle, right? Like you, you go through that and just accepting that is perfectly fine. You will come through the other end of it. And I think I definitely was able to cycle through it a lot quicker than I had have done in 2017-18. I think already within 10 days, I'd already accepted it. I was already, you know, planning on a brighter future and looking at options to make a you know better comeback. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I have some good friends and good people in my corner that I was able to connect with as well. You're in Cambridge at the moment and you've been chatting to schools. What's the most common question you get from kids? You want, be, you want me to be honest? Yeah. What is... What is? Can I do a backflip? <laughs> <laughs> can can you, I do a backflip? Can you? On a trampoline, yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. That's not what I do. I'm, no, I'm, I'm, no. Not, a, I'm not an ex-fighter, right? Yeah. One of those guys. <laughs> they used to do that sort of stuff. Uh, what do you... How do you... How do you inspire young kids how do you feel you inspire the next generation showing that it's possible I think first and foremost I mean for little girls showing that you know you can step up against the boys and be competitive and don't let anything hold you back I think that's one Um, giving kids the you know inspiration to go overseas and be successful because it seems so far far away but being able to be over there and show that a Kiwi can be a world champion Um, is really important for me and also you get knocked down in life but you have the opportunity to stand back up I think that's really really important because especially in our sport or sport in general it doesn't always go your way you know you have a lot of hardships you have a lot of frustrating days disappointing days and you get beaten in that sport but you can change that by how hard you work during the week and correcting your your mistakes and then having another opportunity so um, I'd like to think I can inspire in that direction as well. How important is it for kids that want to be the next Courtney Duncan how important is it for them to have that family support to understand the importance of that? Yeah family support's really important for sure I mean they're they're your bread and butter right like good day bad day they're always there for you and um, whether you win or lose so you know having a really strong family is um, yeah, really important in our sport as well because it's not like you get dropped off at you know soccer or football and you go to a coach and you go to your teammates and our sport you know your parents are the one that take you to the track during the week they invest so much time and um, money and sacrifice a lot for you so um, yeah the ride's always yeah together. I've always wanted to ask you this question. Are you a great believer in participation or it's all about the win? And you have to be answer me honestly. A bit of both. A bit of both. Um, wow, that's a big fence you're sitting on. A bit of both. I mean, I think 
participation is important. Just getting out and being part of sport and being part of the team environment is really important. You can learn a lot through that sort of thing. For me personally, I'm super competitive. So whatever I do, I want to win. I've been born like that, whether it was racing dirt bikes or I mean, I played field hockey growing up. Um, rugby, whatever it was, I always wanted to be part of that winning team and I would always put everything on the line to be successful. So, um, And I think it's important, especially if you want to go far, you have to have that competitive drive within you to want to be the best, to wake up every single day and you know, chase that goal that you're kind of aiming towards. Um, as I get older, there's, you know, you see different kind of sides to it. Obviously, sometimes it's not just about the win, there's more to it. I think the most important thing, though, and I'd like to think we're on the same plane here, is to make it accessible, make the sport accessible to everybody. Yeah, 100%. I, I think so. Um, no matter what, you know, you're always welcome in our industry and um, new beginners and whether you just want to go have fun, whether it's just a family thing on you do on the weekend or whether you want to be a world champion, it's kind of, like I say, accessible for everyone. If you're into cars, get into Repco. Everything you need for your car this summer. You're listening to Race Control with Greg Murphy and Stephen McIver. 7.17, this is Repco Race Control with McIver, Murph and Alexander in the house till 9 o'clock. Don't forget, after 8 o'clock, we talk F1 with Chris Midland and also MotoGP with our very own Simon Crafer. Coming up, we're going to talk to Dan Cowper about off-roading a man that builds off-roaders, and I had the chance to do that yesterday. Talk more about that in just a moment as we return to our chat with Courtney Duncan. We started talking about, you know, the negatives about falling off and a championship gone, but as soon as you hop back on the bite in the shoulder in that first round, you go and win the round, you don't want to race. How gratifying was that? Words don't explain that one. It was, um, it meant a lot to me because it was so tough to accept that championship you know, being drifted away and um, you can kind of write the year off right. And uh, a lot of people probably would have and I thought it was important to be the bigger person and to show fight even though the championship was done, to come back and still stamp some authority. And um, it's hard because, you know, I've won many GPs and we're not shooting for GPs, we're shooting for championships. So to change the focus there was difficult, but um, I'm glad I hung in there because I was obviously injured in Europe, stayed over there on my own. But Definitely paid off to get that GP win before I come home. It was a bit like you saying, uh, remember I'm still here. Mm-hmm. Must have given you a little bit of swag that weekend. <laughs> uh, no, no swag over walking around going, hey, remember me? <laughs> yeah, sort of. Um, I mean, I was grateful to get the win, obviously. I had a lot of time off as well. So I think I was a little bit rusty. Not to my best by far, but at the same time, we're still able to grab the win and, you know, have the Kiwi flag raised, listen to the anthem. And when you go through hardships and you're sitting on the couch, you understand how um, grateful those moments are. And, you you know, there's not heaps of them, so special. I will never experience the opportunities that you had to win a race internationally and hear the national anthem played and see the flag. Every time I hear the national anthem, I tear up. What is it like for you? gives me goosebumps it's the most special feeling in the world like when you hear the anthem play like you realize you haven't just done it for yourself you've done it for your team but you've also done it for your family friends and actually the whole nation that's what you who you've done it for and in our sport you don't get to see the kiwi flag raised a lot so it is a moment that i think we all cherish and yeah yeah, I get a bit teary sometimes on on the podium on the top step but yeah it's such a special feeling so where do we find the next Courtney Duncan? 
for me, I've got one more World Cup this year, so I'll head back to Turkey and hopefully put in a good, strong mm. performance to close off the year. And then we start gunning towards 2023, and hopefully we can make a pretty good comeback and you know a better version of myself and just you know. Just improve, look at ways that can be better and hopefully gun for another championship. You just said a better version of yourself. I mean, you're doing okay now. Well, what needs to change? I mean, yeah. that's that's a big statement, a better version of who I am. I can still be so much better. You know, my riding needs to improve. It needs to go up. Um, there's, there's many parts of my program that can be better. And, you know, you can't just be complacent. You can't just settle and think you're good enough. You've got to always look to improve and better yourself because... The younger ones are coming out, they're pushing, you know, they're, they're chasing me, they want championships and I've just got to rise my game and be better each year. Is it hard to say the younger ones when you're only 26? <laughs> I mean, come on, let's be blunt, you're still pretty young. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm definitely still young. I feel like I've still got a lot of years left and I don't think I've near reached my potential. I, I know I've got, you know, still got a long way to go, but yeah, you see some of the riders on the line, like they're 17, 18 and... That <laughs> makes me feel a bit old. <laughs> oh, please, stop it. <laughs> Do you think to grow WMX, the World Championship needs to be a longer season? It would be cool if we could add some more rounds to the series, for sure, 100%. I mean, I'd like to have about 10, and it just gives that... Um, how do you say it like it, for instance if you if you miss one round in the WMX it's championship done like we only got five six rounds and you can't even DNF a race so um, it, yeah in our sport that's really difficult so it'd be cool to have a few extra rounds and like you say grow the sport a little bit more and um, numbers are really good level of racing is really good like it's improved every year so um, just add need some more rounds does your attitude uh, pervade throughout the f uh, the rest of the field? They want more rounds? 100% everyone wants more rounds. Simple as that. Simple as that. You're 26 and you say you're, you know, you're one of the, you could almost class yourself as a veteran, couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, I'm not that old, am I? <laughs> Three-time world champ. What's the plan? What's the plan going forward? Yeah, for me, I feel like I'm still got some more years to deliver. Like I don't look at um, it coming to an end anytime soon. I, I feel like I can go out and still win championships in the current years, and I want to see yeah how many of those I can rack up. And um, as long as I'm still having fun and still, you know, competitive and putting it all out there, then I, yeah, I'm going to be lining up behind the gate, going for some championships, and then I guess time will tell as we move closer to those years. <laughs> There are athletes in your position that like to try other things in the mm -hmm. motorsport world. The perfect example you have sitting in front of us is Shane Van Gisbergen. And give him a set of wheels or give him a steering wheel. He just goes and, you know, basically succeeds at everything he's done. Is there something that you really want to do? Is there something you really want to challenge yourself and go, you know what, I like that? Not really. Just, I would just want more championships. <laughs> I just want to win more um, WMX championships. How many? I don't know. There's no limit on it. You know, I kind of don't put a limit on that or want to see how many numbers I can get. I just kind of break it down to per year and just focus on that year and um, hopefully, so, yeah, knuckle off one year, get that done and then. It's amazing. We played that old story we did on Sky Sport um, about a month or so ago when we first met you yep. uh, back in down south and, yep. and 
and you are such a different individual now to what you, you were then, how good does it feel to look back and go, and I'll use the phrase that you, you used, I'm a better version of myself now? Yeah, um, <laughs> thanks for that. I'd like to think that I've you know, grown and matured over the years and you know, become a better person because of the challenges and adversity that I've faced. And um, yeah, been more grateful, I guess, for the opportunities that have come my way. And yeah, it's funny that you say you watched that the other day because I remember the, the interview vividly and I remember just how bad I wanted to be a world champion. And yeah, to sit here six or seven years later, probably, um, having thought I have achieved that three times is, yeah, it's a pretty special feeling. Courtney Duncan, three-time WMX champion. There you go. Uh, joining us here on uh, Repco Race Control. Murph, I love, I love the fact that all she really cares about is winning more championships and wants more rounds. And that's the interesting thing. She said the fields for her uh, formula of racing are huge, whereas she says in the men's, like the MX1 and those, they're like 10, 12, 15. At that, but in hers, they're racing 28, 30 riders. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's pretty dismal, to be honest, what they're, um, the women are given over there. I mean, five rounds in a in a year, when there's um, when the when say so the world MX MXGP stuff. What are they? They're, they're like fifteen or sixteen yeah. rounds. It's, it's, or something. It's, it's a, I mean, almost like what you'd call a genuine championship. Not taking anything away from WMX. So I don't. No, no. So I don't understand. I don't know um, why they wouldn't have more rounds for the women, uh, especially when they're putting on such an amazing show and, and doing what they're doing. Especially, you know, when there is such a focus these days on women's sport um, around the world and everything, which is becoming such a big, big thing. People want to watch it, so I don't know why you, why they're not doing that. And of course, she wants more rounds, and of course, she wants to win more world championships. I mean, that's her deal, um, and there's no reason, absolutely no reason, why that can't continue for for quite a a period of time, regardless of how young the mm. next crop are, which they are young, but her experience and her knowledge and and um, and and all the learnings she has had over over such a long period of time, and the challenges, the mental toughness stuff. Oh yeah, it's that is that's you can't buy that that stuff. You know, you've got to earn it, and she has earned it massively. So that counts for so 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 much. Yeah, just like the way she's bounced back from every setback she's had, she's come back stronger and stronger every time. So, yeah, I'm all, obviously we're all behind her. We want her to see her win more, more championships, more rounds, more races. That's just a benefit, a, a good thing for everybody. Yeah, they, they do. I mean, you like motocross, eh? I mean, you and Murph can ride motocross. Yeah, big, I mean, what big you, motocross you're fan. a big motocross fan. Yeah, I, I just love it. I think they're just in, incredible athletes. You know, so physical. You know the. Those long, yeah. those long motos just flat out, you know, qualifying laps every time. And the tracks are gnarly, and just how fit and physical that that you know how fit they have to be to, to survive those thirty-minute motos. And you know, Courtney obviously does an amazing job, stays fit, and comes back. I said stronger and stronger, and I think it's just an amazing sport. Yeah, do you ever thought of doing that yourself? I rode my motorbikes when I was a kid. Fell off too many times. I much prefer four wheels <laughs> over two. Much more stable, less less likely to. Uh, to, to fall over and hurt myself. Actually, while we're speaking of uh, locals, we can't forget a uh, team that SVG is in the, did you see the livery, the super cheap Skoda? These ra- racing. Oh, did I you just, see I that, man? 
Just remember who our sponsors are, Stephen. Uh, Repco Race Control, of course. Well, of course. Yes, but hey, we live we live in a we live in a commercial. I know. I'm having. Oh, I, yeah, I know, I know. Anyway, he's in the bright red car at Rally Far, Far North Rally. I think Marty <laughs> Rossenberg, <laughs> shut up, the Far North Rally. And uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty exciting, huh? I mean, to, you, you being a young driver like him, uh, it must be amazing to see someone just hop into any sort of car and just compete, and I mean compete. Yeah, 100%. Like, he's a racer. He's a racer's racer. We, we all know that. He'll race anything with, with wheels on it. Um, and we know he does a... Amazing job when he when he jumps in those. So it's, it's, it's exciting to see what he's going to do this weekend. I'm sure he's going to be extremely competitive you as know he is, uh. as as he always is. Um, but yeah, it makes uh, makes me want to jump in whatever I can whenever I can as well. You know, it, I, I'm, the, I'm a little bit the same. I want to just drive cars as much as I can, just have some fun, four wheels, motor. And uh, yeah, that's that's what Shane does. That's what he loves, and uh, it's it's cool to see. If I get the impression, if you gave Tom a push here with the motor, he'd have a crack at it racing it, right? Yeah, pretty much. Why not? Why not? Yeah, that's Seven, the deal. That's, that's his passion. Yeah, and, and why not? That's what we're about here. Motorsport is all about a passion. 7.29 on Repco Race Control. Repco celebrating 100 years. In a moment, we're going to go to Turakina, about 35 minutes north of Palmerston North. Talk to a fellow that builds these amazing off-road trucks. Dan Cowper from Cowper Trucks is next. If you're into cars, get into Repco. Everything you need for your car this summer. You're listening to Race Control with Greg Murphy and Stephen McIver. Oh, we could go all night long, but we've only got two hours. This is Repco Race Control at 7.34 with McIver, Murph and Alexander on a Thursday night. Wherever you are listening, around Aotearoa, New Zealand or in SEN on the app across Australia. G'day, how are you? Good to have you along. Time to talk something really cool. And this is me having to prove myself to Tom, uh, to Murph basically, because we went uh, to Turakina uh, at the end of May uh, to the Suzuki 4x4 uh, Festival. Now I've got. I know I've got it wrong. It's four by four anyway, Suzuki, and looked at these amazing off-road machines. Do this crazy stuff, and Murph said, "I'll never do this." And I said, "No, I probably won't either." But I did yesterday. Dan Cowper from Cowper Trucks joins me. Hey, Dan, how are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks, Stephen. Okay, so this is where you come in and help me out, right? So, can you tell Murph, please, that I can actually drive a four by four? Yeah, Murph, he was actually pretty good, sorry to tell you. Um, you're going to have to step up to follow what he's done. Oh, I've got to step up, do I? Oh, okay. Yeah, mate, All you right. sure do. Yeah, okay. you, you, you're keen to have a go at it, eh? No. Okay, so, so let's, let's just rub it in a little bit. So there was one particular uh, obstacle, which was basically a perpendicular clay wall. Uh, how many people have actually done that, Dan? Yeah, probably um, sort of... Over the last seven years with the event, I mean, the top 10 guys sort of hit it every year. So there's probably only been about 15 guys in the country that have, have done it. And uh, Stephen, you're one of them. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> so, so Murph, just... Uh, who was who was sitting in the in the co-driver's seat, Dan? 
Oh yeah, I, I, I sort of had to sit next, sit beside him, mate. Right. But you got to have a co-driver. So what's that? What's that got to do with it? Well, they do a lot of work. Those co-drivers. Well, no, not a when lot. you go, not when it's on a five-second run well, down at the top. Is, all you have to do is, is, is press the, the throttle pedal, mate. That's it. Just aim and shoot, Stephen. Apparently, it's... yeah, yeah. But don't you don't you <laughs> start so, look, Lenny? Let's just talk about the carpet, the truck. It was actually Hermie's truck, by the way, Murph. You know our mate Hermie, who said, "Come on, Murph, get grow some and have a crack." Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Let's yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Dan, I do want to talk to you about where, the, where this love of building trucks came from. Where did it all start? Well, my father um, was doing it back in the early 80s. He was, he was driving um, in the National 4x4 Series, and it was just a, a natural progression that um, me growing up as a young kid, I followed him around New Zealand everywhere watching him. And uh, when I was meant to be doing my tertiary edu- education, when I was sort of... <laughs> 16 and 17, I, I sort of was sneaking off building things in the workshop, and, uh, and that led to building these vehicles for sale. You know? mm. Hey, let's let's actually give it uh, a bit more of a wrap than probably what has been done. I mean, the the design, the innovation, the development of these things. I mean, they are just not um, you know pieces of metal with big engines and four wheels and. Um, Blokes who you know who like burning fuel. The, the, these are technologically advanced pieces of, of engineering. That uh, it, you know the development is, is phenomenal. The tech is is, is very clever, right? isn't it? Really. Well, you know what it's like, Mo. When you're really passionate about something, and uh, you sort of find that that's that's what you're good at. And uh, I was able to drive them and improve what I was building, so it sort of created a bit of a following. So if you can drive and show people what they can do, the sort of sales sort of follow and you watch the stuff around the world, the sports different wherever you go around the world and New Zealand's just got amazing landscape um, and it's an exciting sport to watch and I really get a buzz out of showing people what they can do and the sport, the whole sport's picked up you know, with trucks that are built uh, capable now to do exciting stuff people want to watch it, it's pretty cool yeah yeah, it is cool. And, I mean, we were blown away last year when we went there and Stephen's been back again uh, to the event that you have there. Um, tell me, so put, put it over a 20-year period. Um, from 20 years ago to we uh, today, the the ability of the vehicles and the kind of terrain that you can actually get over now successfully versus what you could 20 years ago, I mean, how, how much has that changed? Yeah, it has changed, but like many sports, but... Um yeah, 20 years ago, it was more, it is called 4x4 trials, and that that sort of signifies that it used to be a slow-type sport, um, just creeping around stuff, around the pegs and around the um, the, the, the hillsides. Uh, now, uh, with technology and huge horsepower that you can buy off the shelf and stronger axles, stronger running gear, it's changed, and you're now able to, um, hit things a lot faster, and it, it creates it makes it a lot more exciting. Um, yeah, it's just sort of a natural progression. But yeah, we could what you did back twenty years ago. It's certainly the game is lifted, and you sort of have to be pretty confident in what you're trying to do now. Um, things are stronger, you know. Your roll cages, all the safety gear has improved. Um, yeah, so big step, and you've gone from like thirteen hundred cc four cylinder engines to. Uh, you know, 6.2-litre supercharged V8. I mean, that's just one example, and it's a huge difference what you can do with those, that kind of stuff.
You see, you see, yeah. when I when I when I thought about four by fours, I kept thinking about uh, tracks where you had to, you know, put the winch out and drag them through, and 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 are really slow and ineffectual and really not fun to look at. But what you have created with your event uh, is is really user friendly. And I said to you yesterday how many people turned up for this year's event. You said five thousand, mm. and, and it was so yeah. user friendly. I mean. When you're looking at developing a truck, I mean, wow. the, the truck that I drove yesterday is quite an advance for you, isn't it? Because you were talking about independent suspension both in the front and yeah. the rear, uh, but yeah. th- they're not all like that. No, well, that was sort of one out of the box. I mean, most vehicles have got BMAX or um, type uh, suspension, uh, which is good for trials type thing. I mean, the independent is more used for off-road racing. they it's better at speed. It handles bumps better at speed. But that's sort of the way our sport's going now. Or the event that I've done here, the Suzuki Extreme 4x4 Challenge, I mean, when you're setting it up for the crowd, they love a bit of speed and they like to see you hit stuff fast. <laughs> um, so that, that's where that truck excels. Um, but with that sort of design comes a bit more weight too. So what we've got to work on is trying to make that work, but uh, put it on a diet, but still keep it strong, and then it can, it'll be right in its element. And um, so that event that we do here, I mean, it all came about by this 80, uh, this, this block of land that I've got here. It's got a natural amphitheatre around it, and I was just looking at it yeah. going, that would be a great uh, grandstand for people to sit in and, and watch our sport. Um, the other option is to go into a, a stadium-type arrangement where people can be seated, but um, I've seen some amazing things in stadiums and people just don't really react to how cool it is. Like I've seen mm. monster trucks in stadiums and they're jumping over you know, the height of houses and they just get a little clap. Um, so you've got to be right up close to the action and see it in its um, natural environment, I reckon. That's why it works. No, mate, you, you, you have created something very special and we have been very grateful uh, to be at the last two. Can I just say thanks so much because I was packing my britches, uh, but having you... And one of what I did discover, Murph, as you will quite rightly agree to, uh, the amazing amount of trust you have in the brake man because literally as the driver, yeah. you're not really touching yeah. the brakes much, even though I sort of quietly tapped them, it would have made no difference. So you just, you said before you claimed it was all about you, but actually no. now we've got to the bottom of it. Okay, no worries. That's all good, mate. No. And also, what you've what you've also been saying a lot lately, a lot lately, is I'm packing my britches a lot. <laughs> well, if you ask, so if have you, you actually packed them? No, or, no, yeah, I haven't. Okay, but you but I, right. I you, Dan will Just confirm check. that before I went up the vertical climb. <laughs> I did sort of take a little while. He kept looking at me going, you're going to go, you're going to go, you're going to go. Is that, that is confirmed, right, Dan? Yeah, you did almost chicken out, uh, apparently, eh, Stephen? But um, no, no, you um, you know, we had to be safe about it. It's quite a steep little climb there, and you can't tell mm. the steepness of these things. Even by uh, TV, it doesn't show angles of um, terrain very well. But when you go and stand at the bottom of it and look up, it's amazing that a vehicle can drive up there, and it. It actually doesn't drive up there. You hit the bottom so fast, you get about a, a five-metre run-up, huge acceleration. Like The top speed of this thing might only be 120k, but it can do that um, instantly. And yeah. you go into that first five metres, the, the suspension compresses at the bottom, and it doesn't even touch the side of the hill all the way up, and you just land on the top. Quite amazing. Yeah, there you go. It is quite amazing. Thank you, Dan. Mate, thanks so no, much. You did, you did very well. You did very yeah, well. You keep, I got a lot of ball. You keep on yeah. saying that. You keep, <laughs> keep on saying that. And thanks for your time, buddy. Go and say hi to Karen, your wife, and thanks for those yeah, uh, sandwiches we'll yesterday as well. Dan Cowper from Cowper Trucks and Tura King. This is Repco yeah. Race Control. <laughs>
There you go. I'm going to take that one. Wow. 7.43. What? You need to enter. Enter next year. <laughs> Do you know how much those, that truck I was driving is worth? 250k. Yeah, it's, it's all right. Yeah. I feel like I, I would pay to, to watch that. I, honestly. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah, well, there yeah. you go. So there, promo, promo. There we go. All right. Back short. We're going to talk uh, all things indie and a bit of the gossip going on at the moment. If you're into cars, get into Repco. Everything you need for your car this summer. You're listening to Race Control with Greg Murphy and Stephen McIver. This is Repco Race Control at 7.48 on a Thursday evening around New Zealand and Australia with McIver Murph and Tom Alexander in the house. Let's talk about IndyCars Mid-Ohio this weekend and and uh, Tom's been doing his homework on this one. Scott Dixon, who we're going to talk about in, for other reasons in just a moment, uh, he literally owns this track, doesn't he? Six-time race winner at Mid-Ohio and I'm sure a whole lot more podiums to go with that. He um, has been dominant there for quite a few years. Home smashed the track record in 2015, um, came from the back to win in 19 and hold off his teammate. A little bit so-so the last couple of years, but you know, he's been, you know, the Ganassi cars have been fast this year, so I'm sure they'll bounce back. So Dixon has come up in conversation, Murph, this week because it's a little bit of a silly season going on. Felix Rosenquist has re-signed with McLaren, but the weird part of this is they're not sure whether they will commit him to Indy or the McLaren Formula E team next year because he's raced. I mean, that must be a really hard position to be in. But Zach Brown says, I've got two team bosses. One wants to keep him in Indy and one wants to take him into Formula E. It's a shame that he has no choice, but at least he's got a a future, right? He probably does. It it doesn't say anywhere that he doesn't have a choice in the matter. I mean, the driver will have a a choice on on what happens, but at the moment, Zach... Um, is just keeping everything open. I mean, it's only June. Well, it's the end of June. They're going into July. Um, there's a there's a fair bit to go uh, on, you know, between now and the end of the year um, before he has to actually make that decision. So remember, Alexander Rossi has signed at McLaren SP as well. So they're going to run three cars next year. So uh, Pedro Award has re-signed. Uh, Alexander Rossi's going there and they've got another seat to fill but they've also got two spots in their Formula E team which which was the, the Mercedes EQ team so they're buying that lock, stock and barrel other than the drivers which um, I would assume based on what I've read they are contracted to Mercedes as a whole not just to Formula E so that's Nick DeVries and Stoffel Van Dorn so they're both off off the uh, the radar so they've got to find two drivers for um, their Formula E team and and um, you know uh, as they say um, uh, Felix has won in Formula E before he knows those cars um, and he's um, been pretty good in IndyCar as well so you know they'll just they'll just uh, play the game God, as, as get, they need to and wait and see you'd go you'd go you'd go to Indy at the drop of a hat but what about this rumor well, I, well you know, I would, but um, maybe that's where <laughs> would he you. Wants, would you go to Formula E? Uh, if, if, uh, if I had the option, and that's all, the, all I had, probably. If I had the choice between IndyCar and Formula E, I'd probably go IndyCar. Uh, IndyCar. Uh, Scott Dixon being mentioned again yep. for the second time. The yep. last time was 2018, potentially a McLaren SP target. There's no way. There is absolutely no way. I mean, it would have to be like. Um, that uh, new golf t- um, series live. Yeah, you know, yeah. It would have to be, or live, is it live? Or live, live? I don't no, know. Live, isn't it? I, 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 I it would have to be, 
they would have to be offering him a hundred million dollars or something, right? Because I mean, he's lived at Ganassi. Yeah. He is Ganassi IndyCar. He is it. I mean, he's he's the goat. So, but you know, but I mean, why? McLaren, why would you go McLaren? Do you think uh, that holds? I don't know. If, you don't think it holds sway anymore? I don't. It, it would have done back in the day, but I mean, he's forty-one years old. I, I mean, I don't. I mean, they probably they would love to get his information and get the, and and have him as a as as someone that could motivate and and get a get a team, you know, uh, up the front on a consistent basis. But I, you know, I I think I think the the days where of Scott Dixon. Um, doing what he's done to win championships in the past, I, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite seeing it at the moment, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, 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 I don't think, I don't think it would be on a basis if he was going to move that it was about his future as a driver. There, it would be about uh, his future as as some sort of um, leader of that team. And I don't know if he would want to do that either. I mean, why, why, why bother? I suppose, but I, I don't see him going anywhere. And he's denied any conversation, any you know talks about it, and saying that there's nothing. He's got nothing to do with it. So, um, and it's it's not real. So I think it's it's probably fabricated. Yeah, I'm hundred percent on Murph's side. Like he said, he's he's Ganassi through and through. He's been there. He's obviously won championships and stuff. Um, McLaren, like he is getting older in age but he still wants to win races he still wants to race he wants to go and win and he's got a good shot at Ganassi so I don't know why he would give that up but you've been doing so so Murph the, the, the reason we're, we're heading this way about this silly season because uh, there was a thing there's a thing on Facebook uh, it's a group called Formula E Addicts right and a whole lot of names have popped up of Formula 2 drivers that could essentially go to Formula E Richard Vashore Marcus Armstrong uh, Jehan Deruvla Yuri Vips not so sure about that one at the moment but when as soon as I mentioned Marcus Armstrong he said this I think Marcus is looking IndyCar. I've heard some things around the grapevine as you do in motorsport. Um, I don't think Formula E's what Marcus wants to do. Um, and I'm sure, obviously, F1 Dream, it's a bit of a fairy tale for a lot of us. Um, but IndyCar is a real opportunity. Um, he's seen what Lungard, Eilat have done going from Formula yeah. 2 straight into IndyCar as being competitive. And I guarantee that's what he's, he's eyeing up for his future. Wants- yeah, and, and I mean, it's now that that space for for Marcus that he has to find a job. One hundred percent, job. Yeah, he's got to find uh, someone that wants to pay him to drive racing cars, and um, you know that has to that has to happen pretty soon. Otherwise, I, I don't see how you know they can justify continuing to to pay you know huge amounts of money to go racing in categories that are not taking you anywhere or are not going to achieve what you, you wanted to achieve. So he's either going to go to WEC, he's got to get a drive in, in a WEC team, like a paid drive in WEC, he's got to go, get a drive in Formula E where they're all paid to drive, or he goes to IndyCar and gets a paid drive there. And I'd love to see him in IndyCar. I think he, you know, he, he's, he's got the goods, he's got the, got the go there to be able to go and, and, um, and get a gig there and, and, and enjoy his motorsport. 100%. And I know Marcus is throwing through single-seaters. That's all he's ever wanted yeah, to do. Absolutely. So he's going to put I saw all the effort into that. And like I said, it's one of the most competitive championships in the world. You know, cars, very, very similar. Engine slight variations, but you can't get 
a championship that that's more similar in car, more similar in you know teams that have you know, bigger organizations. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I'd love to see him in there because I think he would really uh, thrive in that situation as well. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, I think he's having a pretty solid season in F two. And if someone's looking at him, then the results are going to make a difference. Almost seven fifty six. We're going to take a wee break, and we're going to talk the other form of single seater that everybody seems to be talking about, and that is Formula One. We'll talk to Chris Medland. Very, very cool uh, correspondent, journalist and F1. Been doing it for years. We'll get all the goss on this weekend's Silverstone Grand Prix. So stick with us here on... It's time to lay down some rubber and talk all things motorsport. This is Race Control with Greg Murphy and Stephen McIver. Championship contenders giving it everything. It's not over yet because Hamilton gets another slipstream all the way down the old pit straight into Cobb's corner. These are critical corners for this Grand Prix. Hamilton's going to try again this time on the inside of Continent Touch. Verstappen is out of the race and that's a big crash into Cobb's. Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen coming together. Hamilton continues on. Charles Leclerc now leads the British Grand Prix. But for the second time this season, Hamilton and Verstappen clash and tangle on the opening lap. But this time it is ending in dramatic consequences. And we just wonder whether that's what's the top of mind of both Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton coming to this weekend's British Grand Prix at Silverstone to give us all the oil. We'd like to call him our guru of Formula One, Chris Medlin, who has been to every Grand Prix, we understand, uh, every Grand Prix since 2014. And he joins us now. It's nine o'clock in the morning in the UK. Uh, Morning to you, Chris. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're good, mate. So, is this top of mind at all for either of those two drivers? To be honest, I don't really think so. I think they'll both get questions about it, um, just being 12 months on. And there's definitely a little bit of a hangover from the Red Bull perspective. Christian Horner said after the last race in Canada that they have kind of unfinished business at Silverstone because of what happened last year. But I think with Max... He's in a totally different mindset, kind of comfortably leading a championship this year. So he's very good at, at kind of putting the pass behind him anyway. And he, he just is very calm about all these sorts of things. And it, it doesn't seem to bother him. Um, so he'll probably get annoyed at a few questions and then be like, I'm just here to win another race and, and fight Ferrari for the title. Uh, for Lewis, he might get asked about it a little, but uh, the context of that crash has kind of moved on with some of the uh, comments from Nelson Piquet that came out this last week that meant <laughs> Lewis has been facing more questions about racism and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I think it'll be a uh, different storylines around that sort of topic. Hey, Chris, uh, Greg movie here, mate. Uh, so great to have you on the show. Thanks for your time. Um, I, we could probably talk to you and ask questions uh, for hours because it, there's just so much going on in formula one. We've seen such a rise of the sport worldwide. Um, we could talk about the new races in America that are, are taking place and, and just the evolution of the sport around the place. We could talk about porpoising. We could talk about so much. It's 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 intriguing at the moment. I mean, um, it doesn't. And this is no disrespect to you whatsoever, but it, it it just seems that you guys have got so much going on and and so much to talk about on such a constant basis. There's just no shortage of of news, is there, in Formula One? No, not at all. I tell you, trying to trying to take a day off. Uh, is pretty impossible in this job, but um, I suppose we shouldn't be like complaining about that. Should be grateful for the the amount of work that there is. So um, yeah, there's just always something. There's always a storyline going on. 
I mean, even this morning um, in the UK, Bernie Eccleston's been on um, breakfast TV and saying silly things about Vladimir Putin, which means Formula One's having to come out and rebuff those as not their views. And that there's just there's always someone willing to say something or do something somewhere. And then with so many races, like pretty much every week now, um, the sporting storyline moves on quickly too. So um, it's a pretty exciting time actually to be involved in it. You know, some of the headlines are. Uh, more headaches than uh, things that put a smile on your face, but most of them are, um, are just great that people are interested and wanting to know more about the sport. So let's let's um, let's talk about these 2022 cars. Um, uh, your thoughts, your thoughts on how how it's played out on the on the new car, um, how it's actually it's changed things. It's obviously changed things a lot with respect to you know Mercedes at the moment. They seem and hopefully are, are, are on the up, but. Tell us what you think of the cars and, and how you know how good F one have 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 made them um, for the new generation. Yeah, it was it was a big change trying to make sure that the cars were still roughly as quick as the predecessors and still you know some of the fastest cars you can drive in the world um, and race with, but trying to make it easier to fight each other and, and follow closely because just the nature of aerodynamics made it very tough for one car to follow another in the past. So it was a big big attempt you know a big challenge to try and pull that off uh, and i think they've done a pretty good job of it i mean we've seen better closer racing this year in terms of cars being able to follow each other and put pressure on each other all the time just the last race in canada carlos Sainz was right under the rear wing of max verstappen for the final 16 17 laps he didn't have to back yeah. off or call his tires or lose performance in that way so even though he didn't get past it was still good like exciting to watch uh, and that's what they tried to do they didn't want everyone overtaking all the time because that kind of gets easy and then everyone just falls into pace order and finishes the race. You want it that they can battle each other and you get a few corners of fighting and things like that, which we've had at different times. I mean, George Russell in the Mercedes at Barcelona, the last track that really suited Mercedes, had a great scrap with Max Verstappen um, that was awesome to watch as well. So I think they've done a good job. There's still things they can improve. As you mentioned, porpoising a bit earlier, basically when the car bounces up and down when it's at high speed because of the aerodynamics, they need to solve a few little issues like that that, just aren't quite what was intended uh but this is the first year of these new cars and new rules and you you tend to then learn from that and improve things uh and i think they will do that moving forward and just eradicate some of those issues so i think it's a really good starting point i think we've seen ferrari and red bull very closely matched which is good but ferrari just haven't always been reliable or able to pull off the right strategy to to win races that they probably should have which is why red bull have a comfortable lead but we'd have another very competitive season if it wasn't for that and as you say, Mercedes, this weekend, I think at Silverstone will be very good. Um, might be in the mix with those top two. And if not, it still does feel like a matter of time where eventually it clicks and they're, they're winning a few races at least. So, um, yeah, we've got a, we've got a nice, uh, nicely set up grid at the moment where we've got some, some closely matched teams and some good racing with these cars. Hi, Chris. Uh, Tom Alexander. Uh, just talk going up about the porpoise scene and obviously Mercedes... Uh, Toyota Wolf came out earlier in the week and uh, said about they think they've got the porpoising under control. And after Silverstone being quite a quite a smooth track with fast flowing corners, do you think that they are a real shot to be in the mix this weekend? Yeah, I do. I think it's. I wouldn't expect them to be winning the race or the quickest team by any stretch, but they've been quite a way off Ferrari and Red Bull at times this year, and and kind of in no man's land in the third quickest team kind of window. If anything, at some races, they've been kind of under pressure from some of the other midfield teams. But um, Barcelona is like the most recent similar track that we've raced at that's got some high-speed corners and is smoother. Uh, and they were much more competitive there. And that's where they introduced an upgrade that they think fixed the porpoising issue. 
the problem they've had since is just on street circuits and bumpy circuits, their car's very stiff and running very low to try and get it to work. And that's just created other issues. So they've been uncompetitive for a few weeks where the track hasn't suited them. But moving back to Silverstone, I expect to see the games they made in Spain kind of play out a bit more. They've got some more upgrades that are coming. So I think we're likely to see them much closer, kind of nipping at the heels of Red Bull and Ferrari, which will be exciting to see. Whether they're quick enough to win the race, I think still a bit of the TBC, but um, I mean, Mercedes have been so dominant for so long, you kind of expect them at some stage to get it right. And I think if the car is in the ballpark where they can fight with Ferrari and Red Bull, then they will take advantage of that because this is a team that's used to winning races. So, um, yeah, it's quite exciting. That's probably one of the more exciting storylines of the weekend, actually, is to see just how good they are. Um, and the fingers are crossed that they're, they're right on the same level as the top two teams. Chris, you can understand from our perspective that McLaren, because of our connection to it, is, is always one of interest to watch. But where are they getting it so wrong this year? Um, well, it's a bit of a strange one with McLaren because they looked terrible at the first race in Bahrain. And it was partly because of a lack of testing and they just hadn't worked their car out yet. And then they made very quick progress and have got themselves up to fourth in the championship, which is you know, almost as good as they probably could have hoped for um, coming into this season. But then there's other races that they're just nowhere again. And I think part of it is still Daniel Ricciardo's struggles. Um, because he's not always comfortable with the car, it means that one weekend to the next, you've, you've sometimes only got one car that's really competitive. And other times you have both cars and other times you can have neither. Uh, and I think the, the lack of both drivers performing at their best means that they don't always take full advantage of their opportunities. Um, Lando Norris has largely been driving very well, but they just had a number of procedural issues and a few reliability issues in Canada at the last race, and it meant they didn't score a point. Um, I think, realistically, they just don't have enough downforce on their car. They just don't have a outright raw pace, quick enough car. But the rest is roughly working. Um, when the car is reliable, which has been most races, but uh, just not the last one, um, then they're picking up some points with Norris. You know, he, he gets the most out of it, even if it's not that easy to drive. Um, and the team is become quite efficient at the way they kind of uh, tackle race weekends and pick up the points in the past few years. So um, that side of things is working quite well. I think it is as simple as trying to get more performance out of the raw performance out of the car itself, putting more downforce on it, um, basically better aerodynamic performance. And there's a slight knock on that I should add is that the Mercedes power unit is it's still good, but it's not the kind of standard it was where it was the, the best on the grid. Um, and the fact that Mercedes themselves are struggling kind of shows that as well. So, no Mercedes-powered team is having an incredible season. I think you know there's a common denominator there that maybe they just lack a bit of performance on the engine front too. Mm. Um, hey, listen, uh, I'm going to start this next uh, question statement by saying I think this guy is is obviously an incredible race car driver, if not the one of the best or the best we've ever seen. But Lewis Hamilton, um, can we just delve into? And I'd love to, I want to know your thoughts, obviously, but. Um, this year has been challenging, to say the least. And we see, you know, statements that are made. We see Toto, you know, apologising to Lewis. This, You know, we know the car is undrivable, Lewis. You know, we're going to do better, Lewis. You know, you've just got to hang in there with us. And he's down and out. And he's, you know, he's it's it's the end of the world. And, oh, you know, the this, this season's over. My championship's done for the year. And while George Russell, let's just say, finishing in the top five in every race and on the podium and getting on with the job. And then the porpoising on oh, my back, I'm in so much pain, I can't get out of the car, it's terrible, blah, 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 blah. George Russell's on the podium again or whatever at the same time. Tell me, 
I mean, what's going on? I mean, Lewis is he's is he a drama? Is he a drama queen? Seriously, I mean, he's brilliant, but when it's not going his way, Chris, it it really starts to come about poor me. That's the way it comes across in the media. Yeah, I think the thing with Lewis is he's very honest with his emotions, very open with them. Um, at some are they time, real? Are they real? Hard to understand. All the well, time? I was going to say, yes, they are. Yeah, they are, but sometimes they're hard to understand in the sense of you expect him to be happy with a certain result and he's really down about mm. something. Um, or you expect him to be just like only okay with something like third place in Canada last time out and he's absolutely delighted as if he's just won the world championship. He, he kind of, he has a very, um, I guess, a unique personal view on certain things and he doesn't mind showing that and letting people know that. But that does mean sometimes you're caught, caught aback a bit by going, oh, I didn't expect that reaction from you to this. Um, it has been legitimate. I mean, the car has been pretty terrible to drive at times for Mercedes and very uncomfortable to drive. And George has said the same. He just isn't, hasn't been coming out in the, uh, straight after a race and saying it in the same way. But similarly, people flock more towards Lewis than they do George for an opinion because of his history and his success. And his, um, his opinion kind of carries up a bit more weight given what he's been through with that team before. Um, and the way Mercedes have run the car this year, with George being the new driver, they've kind of put their... Uh, faith in Lewis as the experienced guy to run certain experiments and kind of, you know, he knows the team better. He knows the cars better. You know, he's been there for so long that they've gone, right, okay, like we're going to try this random setup on your car, Lewis, to see how that works. And George is going down a more um, usual path at times. And that's helped smooth the weekends for George a little bit, um, as opposed to Lewis. Not every time, but sometimes. Uh, and then there's been other occasions where just, you know, the the luck hasn't been on Lewis's side. I think Mercedes have been a bit OTT at then trying to make sure everyone's aware of it. I think there's a lot of people that work within the sport that are, that are very aware. It's, you know, it's normally something that's easy to see when you know, a safety car's been badly timed. But Mercedes have, have been really, really keen to make sure everyone has seen it and knows why Lewis's race isn't, or final result isn't as good as George's or something like that. And I don't think Lewis actually needs that. You know, with the success he's had, like, he's a big boy. He can take it. He can explain it himself. Um, but yeah, there's... There's aspects there where I think the team have been overly careful at trying not to upset him or keep him happy. But don't forget, the team is not performing. Like This is a guy who is the most successful driver ever. He's used to fighting for championships. That's why he drives for Mercedes. You know, it's, it's why he went there. It's why he's committed his future to that team. And the team's not holding up its end of the bargain. It's not giving him a race-winning car. And he's watching Max Verstappen, who he had a great fight with last year, walk away into the distance. So I think there's a bit of that as well, where... It must be massively frustrating for him, but the team is wary that actually our, our huge name driver who brings so much marketing appeal, so much more on top of just being a brilliant driver, could become unhappy, disillusioned, and we have to do everything we can to try and make sure he is happy, um, to make sure that he sticks with us during this tougher time. Uh, Chris, you mentioned before about Ferrari's reliability issues. Do you, Is there talks that they have solved those, or obviously we two cars finish in Canada. Um, do you think they're really on top of those issues or are they likely to come back? Uh, I'll admit, I'm never confident in Ferrari and probably their issues uh, <laughs> as a team. There, there's, it's the hope that kills you with that team because at times they look great and then they make a strategic error that you just can't believe they've made like they did in Monaco. I mean, how they didn't win a race um, with a 1-2 starting position in Monaco where you can't really overtake is it's still beyond me. But um, yeah. The the reliability issues have been like looked at. A few issues have been identified, and they've got short term fixes in. They're working on longer term ones, but every team still has problems. Um, so I, I certainly don't think it will be the last ones we see from Ferrari. But similarly, Red Bull retired from a lot of races at the start of the season, 
Sergio Perez retired from the last race in Canada. Um, there are still issues there for, for everybody. So um, I imagine Ferrari have still got a few to face. But what's quite good from their perspective is they took a penalty with Charles Leclerc at the last race because they'd had uh, an engine that had been destroyed, essentially, with a the problem they'd had. So he needed to take a new one that exceeded the limits they're allowed, took a grid penalty, started from the back, came through to finish fifth, which is a really good drive. But it means he's got a fresher engine this weekend than any of his rivals has and, and will have for the next few races. And he doesn't have a penalty to take this weekend. So it should be uh, a couple of weeks where Ferrari actually are in a, a pretty strong position to kind of attack and try and get a few wins back. The, the one thing about these 2022 cars, we're seeing probably a greater battle in, in the middle of the field as well. But down the back end, there's one driver I love, and and you you wrote an article about it this weekend about uh, Williams and Alex Albon's the only one getting an upgrade, and they and you suggested that they are following the same design philosophy as Red Bull. Do you think it makes a difference? Uh, yeah, a little. I think what a lot of the teams have done this year is certainly the midfield teams and the ones near the back who just don't really have the resource to chase every single direction of uh, car development and design. They will have gone with their own ideas at the start of the year when they've built these cars, but they kind of left themselves open to be able to react to what everyone else did. Because they were brand new cars, there was always going to be things that people hadn't seen or hadn't thought of. Now, Mercedes went for essentially no side pods on the car that look a bit weird the way they've laid it out and it and it's not worked brilliantly for them but it was a very innovative idea but every other team would have looked at that and thought oh that's interesting how does that work done some simulations but also seen how mercedes performed and gone probably not one that we want to pursue red bull on the other hand have got a a very aggressive kind of uh, design aerodynamic philosophy that others will have also been looking at and gone okay that's working for them they're winning races they're at the front um you know they're normally quite good on their tires all these little details, so they then analyse it a bit more. And it won't have been, you know, it's not a copy-paste sort of situation. It's just that their own concepts that they'll have been looking at, they'll have then had validated by other teams that are doing well with that concept. So Williams were one of those teams that will have had this kind of in the pipeline and been working out whether to push the button on actually building the parts and putting it on their car or not, because they're limited by a budget cap. So you can't just do everything and find out what works. You need to be quite selective with your development. Uh, and they were targeting this race as one that needs good aerodynamic performance. The team's home race too, so easy to get the parts to the track. Um, so, yeah, they developed the parts and, and got them ready. So we'll see how, how that goes. It's, it's just a coincidence that Albon being a Red Bull back driver is going to be in a car that's a little bit more like a Red Bull this weekend. <laughs> but that's, that's just teams kind of looking at what works and trying to copy it as best they can. I just want to talk Hess for a second, Chris. Um, obviously, there's been a few incidents for young Mick this this season, and they, they mentioned a few weeks ago that they already spent their um, crash budget. Do you see that affecting the team in the races to come? Uh, I don't know if it will, but I hope not in the races to come. Maybe in the sense that Mick, a few times in qualifying or in race situations, will be a little bit more cautious just to make sure he doesn't have another big incident. I mean, at the last race, it was the car that let him down, so he retired from uh, Canada with an engine problem, but yeah, two races before that in Monaco, he had a big crash during during the kind of, in the wet during the race, um, and he, yeah, he's had a few uh, nasty ones this season that have been very, very expensive for the team. But the main thing the team say is, it's that they don't have the actual hard cash to just keep absorbing these. It's, it's not that they're out of space in the budget cap, so essentially, if they can find the money from a new sponsor or uh, if the owner, Gene Haas, wants to put a bit more in, whatever, then they can kind of cover that. And I think the car is competitive. Kevin Magnussen's doing a really good job, scored some big points at the start of the year. So I think if they hit 
trouble where they were suddenly like, oh, we're, we're going to run out of money here to keep repairing this car, then they actually there are places they can go to maybe ask for a bit more or try and find a bit more. Uh, in a weird way, it'd be a bigger problem if they'd spent all the money in the budget cap and then we're having these issues because it, you're not allowed to spend any more and then they get penalised. So, um, yeah, there's wiggle room. They, you know, We're talking they just have to find a few million dollars. It's easy, right? It's somewhere down the back of the sofa. Hey, hey, just just, just quickly, how long does Mick Schumacher survive in Haas if he doesn't get it going? On the name alone, or, or is he genuinely a good enough driver to be in F1? So I'd say he is good enough to be in F1. I mean, he won the F2 championship a couple of years ago, and let's be honest, last year's Haas was an absolute dog of a car. He had no chance of doing anything in that and, and showing any real potential in that car. Um, and it's kind of like a reset this year with brand new rules, uh, totally different cars and half being competitive for once. He does need to start getting results, though. He does need to start turning the potential where it looks like he might score into actually scoring points because he still hasn't scored a top 10 finish in his career, uh, which we can only really judge on this season so far. But still, he, he does need to get it done, especially when you look at the fact that Kevin Magnussen's had a fifth place this year. So the, car's, the car is quick. Um, because he's Ferrari-backed, it depends if Ferrari are happy with certain things he's developing, whether it's his technical knowledge, whether it's his feedback. If they think he's improving still, then it's kind of on Ferrari to say, yeah, we want to keep him in there because of their partnership with Haas. So um, Haas generally have to run one Ferrari-backed driver in one of their two seats. Now, if Mick keeps crashing and keeps performing badly, I think there's an argument for them to turn around and be like, give us someone else or let us choose someone else in that seat, um, which they were able to do after their first year. But I think for now, if, if Mick just continues to improve from this point, then um, he might well still be at half next year to keep developing because it has been a trait of his, to be fair, in his junior career. It's normally his second mm. season and the second half of it in a category where he really comes on. So he does need to do that again. Uh, if, he, if he keeps performing like he is right now, mm. um, then this might be his, his final year if Ferrari decide, actually, look, this, there's no future for you at Ferrari, so why are we going to keep funding your career in another team? It'll be uh, harsh to see the name disappear from Formula One. Um, hey, quickly, uh, unless I've, maybe I've been living under a rock in the last uh, couple of weeks, or maybe not, I'm not sure, but Oscar Piastri, um, is he, what's happened with him and the links with Williams? Is that, has that been announced? Have I missed that or not? No, uh, no, I think, sadly, I don't think we'll see Oscar racing for Williams this year. Uh, I think he'll still be uh-huh. doing his training as such um, with Alpine to be ready for next season. I th- from what I've heard, doing a bit of digging in at the last race a couple of weeks ago, um, yeah, there was talk. They looked at moving him into the Williams seat, which would have meant getting rid of Nicholas Latifi. But Latifi and his family, his father specifically, had invested mm. a lot in Williams when the team was really struggling, really helped it through a tough time. So it wouldn't be the nicest payback to be binning a driver off mid-season. But also, the contract's tight enough that Williams would have to pay a lot of money to get rid of Latifi. <laughs> and yeah. with where the car is right now, it is the slowest car. It's not really worth it. You're not going to, you know, even if Oscar comes in and is two or three tenths quicker than Latifi, he's still going to be finishing 13th, 14th in races just because of how competitive the car is or isn't. So that's not really making much of a difference to Williams this season. They're not going to finish any higher yeah. in the championship. It doesn't really help Oscar to go in mid-season against a good established driver like Alex Albon learn a whole new team in a difficult car, it's more likely to hurt his reputation and help it because even if he does a really good job, as I just mentioned, that's 13th or 14th. You know, People aren't going to get massively excited by it. So it's better waiting a year. Hopefully, either Williams are more competitive and he gets that seat next season, which is looking more likely than not, or he goes into the Alpine, which I think some people within Alpine would like, but Fernando Alonso has an option on his contract, <laughs> which it sounds like he can take up 
So if Alonso activates that, then he gets to stay for another year. But um, I think we'll see Oscar in either the Alpine or the Williams next season. That's what we're a little bit excited about down this part of the world. Hey, uh, it's your home Grand Prix. Just quickly, do you get excited every time the British Grand Prix comes around? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, admittedly, with so many races, they just come thick and fast and you kind of focus on each one as you, as you finally get to them. But um, it's part of a good British summer of sport. And, um, you know, we just had Glastonbury Festival last week and it, it just kind of it all builds to some of these big events right now. We're going to have 400,000 people awesome. here over the weekend. It's always cool to see the, I guess, the backing for F1 uh, in the UK yeah. because sometimes you forget about it. You, you don't always get to see it uh, played out. It's the one time of year that you do see the huge numbers turn out. So, um, yeah, very cool. Very busy, but um, a good one and a great track. But yeah, it's it's now it's just one of many standout races. I mean, Australia this year was incredible down in Melbourne with the crowd we had there. Uh, Austin's been massive. Miami was huge. Um, we're going to have so many big races. And I think it's just a testament to where F1's at right now. But it's popular globally and it's it's really exciting. Well, mate, congratulations for being a no. part of it for so long because I, I, I'm incredible. I think we're all incredibly jealous of your job, even though we know there's a lot of hard work that goes behind it. Thanks for being so generous with your time and enjoy your weekend. Hey, thank you, Chris. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one yourself. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate good that. Day. It's uh, Chris Millen here on Repco Race Control. It's 8.25. What's the difference between Greg Murphy and Stephen McIver? One's good-looking. The other has won four Bathurst 1000s. Race Control on SENZ. 8.29. Time for our Midas Service Moment of the Week. Trust the team at Midas for your next car service. And this week, it comes from the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Yeah, obviously uh, Goodwood happened over the weekend, quite an amazing event, always wanted to go, some incredible cars, but the uh, Hills Climb record was was broken again, it was broken a few years ago by the um, super fast Volkswagen IDR, um, went first car to go sub uh, 40 seconds up the hill, but uh, this this year Max Chilton driving a British built electric car as well, the uh, McMurtry Sterling, which is a thousand kilos, one thousand horsepower, but also has a fan which generates two thousand kilos of downforce. If you have forty (laughs) seconds, go on online, watch the video. It's insane. It's like sucking stuff off the road, like a vacuum cleaner. Every every bit of dirt (laughs) and grime off the track. What was the what was the time? Uh, 39.0 seconds. I pulled nearly a second out of the Volkswagen up a 1.1 mile run. Notice the silence when you said electric, nothing yeah. for Murph. Just Murph nothing. No, no, no. Short. It Murph reminded me of Gordon Murray, Gordon Murray uh, Brabham BT, whatever it <laughs> yeah. was, fan car. That's what it made me think of, uh, which was quickly banned because <laughs> it did exactly what the McMurtry was doing, was sucking the car yeah, onto yeah. the road. And it's, and it's a comical, it was phenomenal. It's a comical-looking car, so go on to YouTube and take a look yeah. at it. Okay, that's our Midas Service moment of the week. Don't let an overdue service cost you more in the long run. See the team at Midas. Simon Crafe is next. Eight thirty-five. Pedal on the middle tonight here on Ripco Race Control with McIver, Murphy, and Alexander. Time to go to and well, I think we're in Andorra. The last time I said Andorra, I was wrong. But our MotoGP expert, the man on the ground, Simon Crafer, joins us right now. Hey, Simon, thanks for joining us again. Hey, hi there. Yeah, yeah, I'm in Andorra. Okay, cool. Well, I'm happy about that one. Good, st- good start with the show. I just let me start by saying uh, how crazy was the um, Alicia Spargo uh, dive bombing. Uh, been the other the, way around, Stephen. Was it the other, the other way, around? way around? I got it wrong. It was Quattararo who dive bombed. No, 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 no. I'm the Binder and Miller. Uh, Spargo outbreaking Binder and Miller to win the race. Oh, that, in ah, the race. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah ah, that yeah. was impressive, wasn't it? 
<laughs> he was on another level. That that comeback from what fifteenth to fourth. Yeah, he was literally the fastest man. Showed himself as the fastest man that weekend. It was super cool. Super cool. Um, one other thing he mentioned is that fast left hander right before the chicane. He said he were, the bike felt so good. He felt so good he could carry more speed than everyone, and that's what allowed him to get so close to to do those. But he still did it. It was yeah, really impressive. Yeah, but let's let's go back to why he was on that on that charge on the way through. I mean, the, the biggest story of the weekend uh, by far was. Uh, uh, your good man, uh, Fabio Quattararo, making that move, that desperate sort of very uncharacteristic move on Aleish um, early in the race, which I can't believe Aleish Sprago didn't go down as well. But Fabio Quattararo, <laughs> um, you know, sliding down the road on that Yamaha, mate, that was that was that was a shock to everybody, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, because um, he hasn't made any mistakes all year, so you get used to seeing that, don't you? You know that he that he's so clever and doesn't make mistakes, make, make mistakes, but also such good feel with his bike that when he does lose it, he catches it, you know, almost Mark-like. And so he stayed on the bike all the time, you know. Only had two falls, I think, all season, and they weren't in races, so, you know, and testing and qualifying and stuff. So we didn't expect to see a mistake like that. But Aleish put it pretty well. Like, I think, first of all, Fabio knows that he has to be in the front early on. Um, you know, if he follows too much, he gets front tyre problems. He, it's hard to pass. So he was, like every race, trying to get to the front quickly, you know, and uh, too impatient, obviously. But Aleish put it really well. He said, Fabio is not a dirty rider. It was, a sim- you know, just a mistake. And a part of the mistake, Aleish said this in his debrief, is because Aleish was so quick on that corner and Fabio is used to being able to just easily pass people there. Um, Aleish was saying, for example, Brad Binder, his bike didn't feel well. He had to slow right down there and it was easy to dive bomb him. And I think Fabio dive bombing other people and doing it easily in that tight left-hander came up on Aleish, said, I'm going to do the same. But Aleish was as fast as him in that corner, so they ended up in the same spot instead of Fabio ahead. And I think that was a really good description or explanation from Aleish. Really good description. So with that in mind, then do you think, um, and I think he should, uh, deserves a long lap penalty at the next round? Like, I mean, we've seen Jack Miller get a, a couple of lates and bits and pieces, and Yamaha are really aggrieved by this and have said that, that they think it's unfair. But he still made a mistake, regardless of the fact that Aleish stayed up and didn't fall off. It still actually yeah. um, potentially meant he didn't win that race. So he deserves that penalty, doesn't he? Well, the, the thing is, I, this is only my personal opinion, but I think I, I believe this is why people are not happy, is... Um, dare I say it, but the inconsistency, you know, of the, the of the guys that are making the decisions, because uh, over the years they've been, I think, really good and unfairly crucified. You know, they've done a really good job with the Moto Three guys sorting them out. Um, the problem is, you see, um, you know, Banyaya getting away with taking Martin out early in the year, you know, in the first turn at. Uh, I was about three or four laps in, but or maybe a bit more. But first turn at Qatar, he took, you know, um, Jorge Martin out. You know, trying to outbreak him, lost the front, took him out. Then, then Jack did the same to Mir 
uh, turn one at uh, yes. you know part of the way through, halfway through the race at Portomayo. Then uh, Tucker, after doing some pretty hairy first laps yeah. um, at a few races, takes out those two guys at um, you know Rins and Bagnaia. Yeah, Rins and Catalunya. You know, one of them fractures a wrist. The other one, both of them are in the championship fight. You know, in the top sort of three, and and then he doesn't get a penalty. Then Quattararo does. That is the problem. You know, that's why Yamaha are going what? Because uh, look, you know the and you know if if, if the I bet the um, stewards if they'd explained like yeah we made a mistake on the earlier ones, but we're gonna if they sat the riders down and said we're from now we're going to be tougher, you know, then everyone would understand. And I think that's where it's gone wrong. I really do. I think they're, they're trying to be tougher, but it looks unfair because they didn't nail the boys earlier, you know, the other ones, and now they have Quattararo. Um, hey, Simon, Tom Alexander. Obviously, Alicia's been super fast in uh, races this season. Do you think him and Aprilia have a genuine shot to take it to Quattararo for the championship? Yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the year, I wouldn't have believed it, really, because, yeah. you know, for starters, um, Alicia's done 10 years in the paddock, roughly, I haven't calculated exactly, but it, it was 10 years with no podium, then he got a podium last year, his first one, and the bike still wasn't quite there, it was impressive, but and then to believe he'd come into this year and fight for the championship and be as good as he is, and the bike be that good? Nobody, I think, expected that. And even the riders are saying when they're asked uh, by you know my colleagues, you know, for videos, who's the biggest surprise? You know, everybody says Aish. And um, both the Aprilia uh, needs congratulating. Like they are so close to the Ducati now that it's it's arguable which is the better bike. You know, in the championship, which. Again, who would have believed that? You know, that Aprilia has come from the whipping boys a few years ago mm. to equal to the best bike. That, that's incredible. And then Aleish, uh, you know, getting the podium last year, but now, like like I said, in Assen, he was the fastest man on the track. That That is really impressive. So, yes, from now on, it won't surprise me if Aleish takes it all the way. He's... He's 31, if I remember correctly, and one well, you know, the most experienced guy, and and uh, he's fighting guys that are in their early 20s, and I think Aleish, you know, he missed that checkered flag the other week, but in general makes really good decisions, <laughs> and he's really on form. So yeah, you know, I hope he can, and and I believe he can. And do you think uh, that? And it was it was just amazing to see the smile on his face. I don't remember seeing a smile on Maverick Vignali's face like he had on the weekend. It was just phenomenal. I mean, he, he was like, um, you know, the first time he'd ever been on the podium. It was, it was awesome. But it looks as though he really is starting to understand that bike too. They've got, it looks like there's, you know, Elish has, has found the rhythm, but Maverick looks like he's, he's starting to really understand what, what it takes as well. I I agree with you. He's starting to, rather than has... I think there's another step to come from Maverick to be able to fight right at the front. And he's not completely happy, you know, on the, on the bike or his style. He says he's tried to change his style to, to ride the V4. He'd ridden an inline uh, for all his career. And then now he's saying he's changed it enough he can't 
change the last bit he needs to find it from the bike to help him ride how he wants you know and what the reason for saying that is I think there's one more step to come out of Maverick before he's a real race winning you know contender like his teammate and uh yeah I think part of the reason he's so happy there is that the Aprilia guys have treated him so well they approach stuff differently I see it because I do um, Thursday, I do debriefs with, uh, basically it's an interview, a video of all the factory crew chiefs, okay, from like two from each manufacturer. And I get to talk to them then and find out stuff and it helps me with my job as well. Um, and those, the Aprilia team are so uh, open compared to, for example, the other extreme would be Honda, um, very closed, you know, it's almost like the staff are, scared to talk in case the boss is watching, you know. With the Aprilia guys, it's the boss chatting with me going, Simon, you want a coffee, you know, right? Come on, and, and I can ask them, for example, what happened to um, Maverick's right-eye device, you know, and they'll tell me it, it wasn't the bit that activated it, that failed, it was the device itself. You know, so you, these guys aren't... They, they treat their riders, because of this whole thing, quite differently, meaning very loyal... Uh, don't uh, put pressure on them. Uh, hire the, they've hired the best people they can and then they support them, which I think is the best team manager approach that I came across, you know, rather than uh, bullying or uh, putting pressure on or telling you how to do it or train harder because everybody works differently, you know. And um, they, it's nice to see them getting results out of Maverick because I think it's the only way to work with Maverick, you know. He's a sensitive little fella so it'd be great to see him um, make that last step and and fight for the win hey simon just briefly we're running a little bit on time but you mentioned honda what do they need to do to get back to the front have mark marquis <laughs> yeah yeah um i i fully expect you know on the mark things that they've done it at this time to get the timing right in other words be on the bike by the late in the season to be able to help develop it for next year and not miss the end of the season tests and and uh, to test the new bits. Um, what, I mean, if I fully expect Mark to fight for the championship next year, that's his plan for sure. And uh, he sort that they fix that arm, and I have no doubt that he that he will. Honda, um, like I said, that they have a different approach. You know, they they are very closed shop, and I think that works when you're the best, you know, so other people don't steal your ideas, but it clearly doesn't work when you're trailing, you know, and because it's you that needs the information or ideas. And and uh, uh, I I mean, I don't know what's wrong with the bike. I, I'd be a lot wealthier if I did. <laughs> and they don't know. Uh, I really don't think they know. You listen to, I listen to, all, listen to all their rider debriefs and, they don't know. They know what it's doing wrong, but they don't know how to fix it. And, um, yeah, I don't know if they will or when they will, you know, because I really thought they would have for this year, but it's struggling big time, big time, like meaning to get the bike to turn uh, front feel, which is so important for riders. And I think it's sad for the riders on the Hondas because you only have a short career and the guys that have spent a couple of years on it have... Uh, gone nowhere it's done nothing for their career and um, it's you know it's sad that they can't show their potential so I hope they sort it out 
especially for riders, sounds, their riders' sake. Sounds a bit like the Mercedes and F1 situation, Simon. Hey, Simon, it's always it's always good to talk to you. Thank you so much for giving us your time, and uh, we shall talk again. Well, he's on a holiday. Okay. He's having a no break. Problem. He's having a He's having a break. He's got his feet up, drinking coffee, and having yep. a good time. I'm off to Le Mans. Believe it or not, today the Le Mans Classic. Oh, Enough, you. Jealous. Shut up. <laughs> all, right, all right, enough of that. Thank you, Simon. Appreciate it as always. Simon Cray for our man on the ground, who is he is Thanks, very, Simon. very connected with obviously MotoGP because he's part of the commentary team. It's eight forty-eight. Race control with Greg Murphy and Stephen McIver, and also Tom Alexander this evening. It's eight fifty-two. Wrapping up this edition of Repco Race Control with the reminder that Mitch Evans and Nick Cassidy are racing in Marrakesh this weekend, lads, for the latest round of Formula E. And uh, Mitch likes this track, doesn't he? Going on the last time he raced at Marrakesh, yeah, came from twenty-fourth last year to to win the race. So obviously got good pace around that track. So um, let's hope he can do something similar this year. So you have just saddened me somewhat because you've <laughs> said you agree with Murph and you don't like the design of the new Gen 3 Formula E car. No. Neither does Nick Cassidy. I don't, yes. I don't know many people that i talked to like the design except, of it. To except be fair. me. Except for you, Stephen. Because I think it looks so cool. But do you know what he called it, Murph? Tell me what, what he reckons the Formula E car looks like. It's a, like a big... It looks like a big Dorito, a big triangle. A big Dorito yeah. chip. I actually hadn't thought of it like that, but yes, you're right. Oh, I think I think you're I think from you're here all, on. It's called the Dorito. I think you're all wrong. I think you're all wrong. I think you have. Yep. Yep. You, you it's, have, it's very possible that the world is wrong, and you are right. It's very possible. Well, I think the Formula E world would suggest that maybe I am right with the way they've gone with their design, Gregory. So I'm going to say that's what I'm sticking with. But I, what no, I would they what just I, are trying to set themselves apart from the rest of the world. That's what they're trying. To but do. that's what you do. That's what you do. I mean, the the thing is, I, I really want Mitch Evans to really get another good result because this is such a hard series to win, isn't it? It's so competitive, yeah. Uh, you can see with the qualifying and the different tracks, you can see how many different, um, obviously, results you get. It's not easy to win multiple races in, in a championship. And I actually saw the last person, a stat recently, a last person to win three races in a championship went on to win the championship. And Mitch has done that this year. So is that a good omen for him rest of the season? I, I like it. I like it. And the new Season 9 calendar's out, uh, Murph. That's for Gen 3. And that's next year, but no uh, New York or no Marrakesh. Three spots still to fill. Still to fill. I'd be surprised they don't go back to New York. They're not going back to New York. New York has not been listed for next year. Well, that's not a good sign, is it? What do you? Th- oh, okay. Is this the cynical side? Are you suggesting it's not what, good is because it cynical, or is it is it cynical, or well, is it actually not good value for money? That's what I was bringing you, the cynical out, yeah. Well, that's, that potentially well, is... Well, it's not cynical. Yeah. That's not cynical. That's actually just being obvious, right? And yeah. this is the problem with some of these things where they cost a you-know-what load of cash <laughs> and it has to deliver. It has to deliver. They will spend how many hundreds of millions on taking Formula One to Vegas? How many... And it will be hundreds of millions of dollars to go to Vegas, Right. Yeah. And it will be there for a very long time. I get tell you what's interesting, Murph, and I'm reading about McLaren because they've got new. They, they are now bagging a whole lot of American sponsors. Right, you get this impression that uh, just because of one series, and we are running out of time, the drive to survive has flipped Formula One in the minds of Americans on their head, and all that corporate money. That I wouldn't be surprised they start thinking about another Grand Prix there. Wouldn't surprise me at all because the amount of moolah that's there. Or is that taking it a step too far? Another another one in America. Yeah. I know we've got Vegas we've coming. We've got four. We've got four already? Three. Three. Vegas, Miami, Vegas, and Austin. Miami. 
Austin. Texas. Was it, wasn't there another one? No, it doesn't matter. I was just throwing it out there. We've got to go. Hey, uh, have a great <laughs> week, Murph. Um, we're going to look at the new Range Rover on Sky Speed next week, okay? Have a look at that new beautiful Range Rover and chat about all things that are happening this weekend, which is IndyCar, which we really want to get into, all right? We didn't even talk about it, did we? Yeah, we did. We talked about IndyCar. We've talked about IndyCar already. We didn't talk, we didn't talk about Mid-Ohio. We forgot. No, we did. We did. Because Tom said Scott's, oh, yeah. Scott's won plenty there. We're done. We're out of here. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Thanks for the time. Me. Take care, Murph. Talk to you again. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye, Murph.